Welcome all to another edition of a positive podcast where we work to enhance our lives by exposing the tools that we already have inside of us. My podcasts are designed to be short inspirations that will take these proven methodologies of positive psychology and give you examples and deeper insights on how to practically apply them in your own life. In other of my podcasts, I've shared some tips and tools. Today, as I will do on occasion, I interview someone who can share wisdom and life experiences that essentially do the same thing, teach us all that we have the answers inside ourselves. So welcome to episode number four, an interview with Mrs. Sterna Ginsburg. In today's challenging world, is it possible to live without constant stress, resentment, or social anxiety? If nothing else in your life changes, can you feel unconditionally worthy and respectable? When you're faced with pain or difficulty, can you fill your heart with strength and joy and energy? These are just some of the questions that Sterna Ginsburg aims to answer in her book titled Your Awesome Self, The 12 Principles of Energized Living. The goal of the book is to activate the goodness you want in your life. This is truly a remarkable book that I have personally been enjoying, but don't take my word for it. I strongly encourage all of you listening to go out, buy this book, and see for yourself how wonderful it really is. Mrs. Sterna Ginsburg is a wife, mother, and grandmother. Together with her husband, Rabbi Aaron Ginsburg, she established Maizdais Chinuch Chabad, where she has served as an educator since 1998. In 2012, she founded the Energized Living, facilitating workshops where spiritual concepts are the practical tools for cultivating healthy relationships and joyous possibilities. Sterna is the editor of Connections, a newsletter published by Gan Yisrael and the author of EnergizedLiving.org. Her lectures have been featured on TorahAnytime.com as well as the Kol Kfuda Hotline. Sterna lives in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn, New York, where she spends most of her time learning, studying, facilitating workshops, and coaching clients. To get more of Sharon's free recordings, newsletters, and Amuna Boost, message you can email her that info at energizedliving.org. So now sit back, relax, and be ready to learn and grow. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mrs. Sharon Ginsburg. It's truly a privilege and an honor to be able to interview you. You know, I came across your book entitled Your Awesome Self when a friend of mine purchased it for me for my birthday as a gift. And I did not know at the time that you were the author, and I started reading it. And I truly found it to be extremely eye-opening and interesting. I can't imagine what it takes to put a book like this together, but it's truly chock full of wisdom. And Sharon and I actually go way back when she was my eighth grade or ninth grade, I'm not sure, teacher in our small school in Morrison, New Jersey. I loved her then and I found her to be an amazing teacher, someone who really saw her students for who they were. So it was no surprise that I reached out to her and asked her to be a guest on my podcast. To my great delight, she said she would be happy to join me. So let's get right into it. (laughs) um thank you Razel wow I'm like I'm blushing (laughs) oh no no come on it's a piece of work Sharon you should be very proud without having finished the entirety of this book I can already see that this book really gives the readers an opportunity to imagine and picture what life would be like living without resentment and misery without feeling stuck so you know so many of us spend so many years of our lives feeling this way but there is another way another path forward And in your book, you discuss the 12 principles of energized living. And this book has already empowered thousands of people to activate transformational goodness in their lives. And the book is filled with effective strategies for upgrading the quality of one's life and their relationships. And you give also many stories of personal encounters that help people relate to what it's like to navigate these struggles. Can you share with us all how you came about creating these 12 principles and putting this book together? What was your impetus? or perhaps your challenging event of your own, or the aha moment that you got to realize that you need to write this book? 
So thank you again for that wonderful introduction. And I have to say that you, I've always been impressed by you and that's why I'm here today. Um, and I'm really inspired by the work that you're doing. So thank, thank you. you for having me join. Um, I can't point to one moment where it was a decision to write the book. I think if anyone discovers something that's very precious and also available, you wanna share it with other people. So yes. where I came to this on my own, was definitely from a place of challenge, from struggling. I knew that there were answers in Hasidus, and I was determined to find it. Actually, um, I, was, I was leading workshops about, I, I actually jumped right into leading workshops even before I had all the answers to all my questions. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and, and I loved doing these workshops and I would get very frustrated by the limitations of time and space. And I felt like the message, the idea was bigger than me and I wanted to release it to the world. Yeah. So I was very driven to be able to hand someone a book and say, here's a pair of glasses, try it on, see how you can make your life so much better and just go for it. Wow. Where were these workshops taking place, by the way? In Borough Park. You, I live in Borough Park. I live oh. in Kensington, actually. I work mostly in Borough Park, but I live in Kensington. One of the very inspired, one of the things that inspired me early on in my work was actually Rabbi Shastow's book, God of Our Understanding. Yes. And um, well, he talks about how the 12 steps of recovery are, are rooted in Torah ideas mm -hmm. and in Hasidus specifically. And at the time, I didn't really relate to every single thing in the book, honestly, mm -hmm. because one thing uh, he, in the book, it's like he speaks about addicts. And I, I'm sh I think his language changed so much since then. He, you know, yeah. every person evolves. But in the book, it's like us and them, like the addicts are the them. Right. And I really felt like when I was reading about addiction and, and, um, and also codependence, I'm like, oh my, I think it's everyone. Like a hundred percent, I identify with the addict, I identify with codependence. So I was like, oh my, how could it be them? It's us, it's everyone. Mm. That's such and, an interesting um, point. But one thing that really struck me about the book was at the end, the bottom line is that spiritual connection is the remedy that we get right. over we get, we don't get out of ourselves. We get over ourselves by connecting to Hashem. So that's what also like really pushed me to keep learning and keep finding the answers in spirituality. Wow. So, you know, 2020, the year 2020 has been really rough on the American psyche. Um, people in the United States are more unhappy today than they've been in nearly 50 years. And even prior to Corona and COVID, the studies found that just 14% of Americans said they're very happy, down from 31% who said the same in 2018. And interestingly enough, statistically, women are actually twice as depressed as men for different various reasons. And addiction and substance abuse is the highest it's ever been. And many people are choosing medication, alcohol, and even illicit drugs to escape their unhappiness. Some people do it through other forms of you know, food, whatever it is, but many of us are just trying to escape this, these unhappy feelings. And of course, like you mentioned with, with Chase Taub's um, book, but there's also very commonly known the 12-step program of Alcoholic Anonymous, which is the spiritual foundation for personal recovery from the effects of alcoholism and addiction. And many people find that these steps are not merely a way to stop drinking, but they become a guide, like a, a guide towards a new way of life. 
is your is your book set to be similar in this way like the 12-step program is like similar to that program is it supposed to not only teach people how to live happy and meaningful and have live a meaningful life but is it also to help them function in a world that often feels out of control so that's a very interesting question and a big question so first of all, what inspired me, what sparked my idea to look to the 12 principles, which I didn't make up the 12 principles, right. the Lubavitcher Rebbe collected them and initiated them as a program for emotional wholeness, actually, um, and inner peace. So that came from, it didn't come from me, but what sparked my interest in them was I had different friends who were in recovery. I myself I never actually attended meetings, mm -hmm. but I had different friends who did. And I, I was aware of the potency of what they were experiencing in recovery. And I thought, I know, we all know there's a principle in Torah that everything that exists in the world has a parallel form in Torah. Yeah. So I was like, what in Torah has that level of potency as 12-step recovery? And that's what one day it hit me. I was like, oh. 12 Pesukim, like the Lubavitch Rebbe could have selected 13 Pesukim, 13 principles, 14 principles, 10, 11. It was specifically 12. And mm -hmm. I saw that as Ashkacha Pratis, and that sparked my interest in it. But initially, I did see a parallel in the work because recovery, as you said, um, and as I understand it, is about getting over yourself, getting over your challenges by surrendering to mm -hmm. Hashem. But as I got into studying the 12 principles, actually, I let go of the idea that the work could be similar because mm -hmm. I didn't want to be limited by anything. I just wanted to be purely focused on how the teachings of Hasidus could be a set of tools without right. any comparison to other systems that are already available. Okay. So it just happens to be 12, but not necessarily the 12-step program, but similar more to the 12 um, ideas and principles from the, what the Rebbe put together. Yes, and definitely these teachings are just like, you know, when people enter, when people enter recovery, their work in recovery is not self-contained. It's not like a, a detail a aspect of their life. It becomes an all-encompassing transformation. Yeah. And I think that the work of this book, connecting with Hashem and with our true self, mm -hmm. it's strengthening yourself from the core. Mm -hmm. And and like that, in, in that sense, it's similar. The impact is felt in every relationship, in every part of, of your life. Right. Yeah. But, but one thing that's not yet the same, and I hope it becomes similar, is that a huge aspect of, of recovery work is the shared strength and wisdom that comes from the fellowship, like the yeah. group setting. With the 12 principles, the fellowship aspect is still in its very, very initial stages. Many, right. many people are working through the book in like small groups with relatives, friends, on the phone, two people here, there. And just a few people started groups that are open to anyone who wants to join. Mm -hmm. I actually just recently started a WhatsApp group for group leaders of such groups. And we're just about 10 women on the group. And it's, it doesn't sound like many. It's not a lot. But these women are wonderful leaders. There's someone in Australia, somebody in Europe and the rest are in the States and they're giving of themselves in a beautiful way. And I, I do hope, I actually, I'm more than a hope. I'm, I'm Baruch Hashem. I'm confident yeah. that with Hashem's help, the groups will continue to grow because the absolutely. fellowship aspect is a big piece. Very, it's a huge piece. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why they have their meetings. Also that whole part is a big piece of it. Yes. Yeah. So one of my personal favorites of the principles that I came across in your book was the principle number two you know, power and dependency. 
you know, letting go of blame, resentment, and guilt. And you talk about how Hashem has hidden himself in this world. We know this through Hasidus. On the outside of his hiddenness, there's an alternate reality in which people and things appear to have power. And what happens? We attribute power to these people and to these living things or things. And what happens when we do this? What happens when we view our own self as powers or other people as powers or things as powers? It leads to constant disappointment, guilt, chaos, negative emotions. So when we stop and think who is the true power, only Hashem, only Hashem is the one and the only true power. And we, but we still naturally attribute power to people. And we do this unless we consciously decide to stop doing it, being aware of it, and then consciously deciding to not do this. And when we start, when we start giving the power exclusively to Hashem, we can let go of so much of the unpleasant and unnecessary drama in our lives. Can you take a few minutes or moments to teach how we can actually implement this in our lives? Like, what are the actual and practical steps to, to make this happen? So, Razel, you're so articulate. You just said that very well. <laughs> I'll try to... I'll, uh, you know, add another layer is that um, many people believe that there's an unseen power who directs and controls everything in the world, right? right. We believe in God. Many people believe in God. Yeah. And yet that belief is abstract. It's an idea that we could call upon at will, but it's not an idea that plays a role in our day-to-day -day lives, right? Mm -hmm. So, right. But, but even though God, or what I call in the book Hashem, is an abstract concept power is a very practical reality that plays itself out in everything we do there's always a power there's an energy there's a flow of there's a dynamic there's a there's a root of the energy that's flowing so if we're not consciously attributing power to god we're going to be attributing power to other beings to people or to things meaning if the flow of energy mm -hmm. in my life is not happening, if I'm not experiencing the flow of energy between God and me, between me and God, mm -hmm. I'm experiencing the flow of my energy, which is the power to make or break, the power to stop or start, the power to get things done, and also my personal empowerment. If I'm not experiencing that flow of energy and power and empowerment between God and me, I'm gonna, experiencing, I'm gonna experience that between other people mm. and me. So the first and step is to, you're saying, is to really work on our own connection to Hashem. Is that what you're saying? That's the first yeah, well, step? The first thing is to have the awareness that there is mm -hmm. a flow of energy. Right. So, so the first thing I think is to recognize that there is a flow of energy happening. Mm -hmm. Because once we're aware of it, that's, to me, I've, I feel like awareness is 99% of mm -hmm. the cure. Because once we're aware that there's a flow of energy, we can kind of redirect our hearts and open ourselves up to a diff to channeling the energy in a different direction. So the first thing I would say is to become aware that there is a flow of energy and then we can we can become aware of how that's playing itself out. So because if we're not consciously attributing power to God, we're attributing power to other beings, to people or to things and we're very invested in our close family members, especially our husbands and children. Right. And we're also quite invested in our close friends or colleagues. So subconsciously, they are the first people mm -hmm. to become our powers. Right. They're the ones who like hold the, hold the power. And then we view them as holding the power to make or break the quality of our lives. Yes. And then our relationship with them becomes fraught with fear because the stakes are so high. Their yeah. behavior 
can build us or destroy us. Their behavior can lift us up or bring us down. And when the stakes are this high, it's impossible to relax mm. and be fully present and just enjoy the relationship. A part of our minds is going to be, because the stakes are so high, a part of our minds is going to kind of be babysitting our needs. Like we're going to be hyper vigilant and ensure that our needs are going to be made on are, are going to be met. Mm. And of course, this, if we're not aware of this, of this, it doesn't mean that it's not happening. It's a subconscious, it's a subconscious reality. Mm -hmm. I'm saying this in very short, but this is why I believe that we experience the most tension and stress and frustration and anxiety in our closest relationships. Mm -hmm. So the first thing and the most practical part you're saying is be aware, like step back and actually be aware of what you're doing and who you're giving power to in your lives. Right. right. And also who is giving you power? Who mm. are you receiving? Who, where are you getting your energy? Where are you getting your license? Where are you getting your sense of worthiness and dignity? Mm. Is, is, do you need a, is it a, is it from your accomplishments? Is it from other people's compliments or is it, you know, is it deeper than that? Is it bigger than that? Is it more, does it, does it run, you know, from a, from a deeper place? So what if it is, what if, what if you're getting validation from other people's compliments or from other people or from your, from your own work? What, what, what next now that you've realized and you're aware of it? So, so everything, so let me just be clear that validation and compliments, we all love and need right. people goodness and friendship is definitely one of God's greatest blessings. Mm-hmm. The, it becomes problematic when we make that our power and we become dependent on it. Like if it's not just a reminder and an affirmation of who we are, it becomes the, the proof Uh of who we are. The license of our worthiness is very different from the validation of our worthiness. Mm -hmm. And I think the root of this problem is that God Hashem is abstract. So the more we think about Hashem, the more real and the more tangible Hashem becomes. And people, many people tend to think that faith is not really practical. And my experience tells me that faith is practical to the extent that you practice it Hmm. and practicing. It means it really just investing time. And it doesn't mean it doesn't have to be hours of sitting and meditating. It could be literally 30 seconds in the morning, just thinking about Hashem and thinking about his presence within us and acting on the awareness of his presence in our immediate proximity. If we never think about Hashem, then our faith is irrelevant and unhelpful in a time of crisis or right. even in a time of ordinary neediness. But the more we think about Hashem in a personal way, that's how we could experience his presence as relevant and helpful in our personal lives. Hmm. So that's a short version. Yeah, of that's the excellent. Yeah. That is good. That is good. Um, okay, so along the lines of the aforementioned question, which I just spoke about before you know anxiety and depression are so prevalent today i mean i don't know the exact statistics but and and thankfully it's not a taboo anymore to talk about it even in the religious circles and the world around us in general and um it seems like so many people are struggling with some form of anxiety or depression and so does your 12 principles of energized living does it address because i i am only halfway through the book it's really, like I said, 
I can, I can only do it in little bits and I want to focus on it and take my time to really read it properly, take notes and take it in and think about it. So does, does it talk about ways forward? Like if people that are struggling, living with anxiety or living with depression, and can you share any insights for people who are looking to struggle less, or I like to say struggle well, because in truth, that's what life's all about. It's full of struggles and we can't not struggle, but we could struggle well. So that's, that's a goal. So my question is, what tips or tools would you offer people who are struggling to get control over their anxiety or their negative emotions that they're struggling with? Wow, so most people struggle with anxiety and depression in some degree. Mm -hmm. um, the book doesn't directly talk to any specific condition, but it definitely offers tools and a way forward. Right. So each of us has challenges, we have issues, we have histories, we have weaknesses and difficulties that are there in our lives, not by our choice, and they're beyond our control. Yeah. I think the greatest gift we can give ourselves is a connection with our deeper self. It's a connection with that place inside of us, our core, where we are one with Hashem, we are beautiful, we're strong, we're capable, and we are worthy. And in that place inside of us, you know, we're a manifestation mm -hmm. of Hashem's glorious light. In, <clears throat> sorry. <coughs> we're a manifestation of Hashem's glorious light in this world. And no yeah. matter what's going on in our lives, this space inside of us is untouchable and unchangeable. It will always be separate from our challenges, separate from our weaknesses, separate from even our illness. Yeah. So the more we're connected with this part of us, the more we identify with this part of us, with our true deepest self, the less we'll identify with our challenges and with our weaknesses. We'll be able to embrace who we are, every part of us, you know, mm -hmm. our humanity, our limitations, our, our everything, even our illness. Yeah. And, and not define ourselves by it. And we can then let our true self, that deeper part of us, our unstuck, not that the other part of us is not true. It's right. also true, but it's not the deepest part of ourselves. But There's it's also not our identity. I, you know, I say this a lot. To right. Your anxiety, you're not your anxiety. Your anxiety is exactly. something that you experience at times, but it's not who you are. Your essence, exactly. your core is you're a piece of Hashem. You're awesome. Right. So and the more you we focus on that. that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the more you feel that, um, the more you really identify with what you just said, mm -hmm. the more we identify with our unstoppable light, we could then, you know, tap into that and let it be a source of strength as we navigate our challenges. Because that deep place inside of us, it's always available. It's free and it's so potent. So really, I always say the best gift we can give ourselves is a connection with our true self. And the path to establishing that connection is what we were talking about before. It's the more we think about it, the more we absorb the truth of its presence, and the more we act on it, the more connected we will feel hmm. with it. That's a really good point. Thank so, you. <clears throat> That's my favorite part of the book, by the way. Yes. That's like... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's in a very important piece. It's like when you come to terms yeah. with that, you really can alleviate a lot of that, those emotions. Um, no, it takes a work and effort to come to this place. But when we get to a place that we truly believe that everything is from Hashem and everything that Hashem does is for the good, this can help us navigate our challenging times. 
But then sometimes we have revealed good, and sometimes we do not have revealed good, but rather quite the opposite. And those moments bring up the emotion of fear. So my question is, how can we stay in the Amuna headspace, meaning focusing with faith on Hashem as a loving God who we trust, as opposed to a God who loves us, but sometimes he hides his face, which can cause fear. Right. So a lot of people think that Amuna, faith in Hashem, and fear are contradictory terms. I don't think that that's true. Hmm. I don't think that fear in itself is a bad thing. You know, Shays Taub has a, I was listening to a class of his once. He said such a great line. He said, fantasy is what you hold on to, to avoid dealing with reality. Hmm. Fear is what you hold on to, to help you face reality. So in other words, and, and the word fear is not in there, but to say that we, we can't escape our humanity, that would be fantasy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So fear and fear is not in itself a bad thing. Fear could actually be very helpful. Fear is an emotion that right. comes as a warning. So it could be helpful. It could be telling us something. We need to listen to it. And sometimes it's telling us to do something to help ourselves get faith, you know, get safe. And when we already did what we need to do, or in a situation where there's just this low dose undercurrent of fear, which many people, you know, have, which is really anxiety, a right. low dose undercurrent of fear. And we're just, you know, it's not a bad thing either. It's just a fact. There are some really fearsome facts in today's world, right? So beyond the common sense action to keep ourselves safe, I, my, my favorite tool for this is to turn every moment of fear into a moment of prayer. So when you feel that fear coming up, use the same words and turn them around into a prayer instead of thinking he's going to get sick and he will be one of those who won't ever get better, you know, which, right. which is a, just a fear that just keeps you, you know, and then it's negative and it, it's draining, it's disempowering, it's suffocating and, and, it, and it's harmful and it's actually physically dangerous. Right. So instead of go, going with that kind of thought, the minute you realize that you have this kind of negative thought pattern, just flip it over around, flip it on, on its head and mm -hmm. say, oh God, please keep him safe and healthy. Like mm. turn the same words into a, into a prayer. It's so, so, so helpful. And sometimes if somebody wants to give more strength to that prayer, we can say a chapter of Tehillim. Um, the Lubavitch Rebbe actually, in a letter to one, a woman who was suffering from anxiety, he encouraged her to study well um, chapter 23, which talks about, you know, faith of how Shem's presence is with us, even in dangerous, fearsome mm -hmm. circumstances. So, you know, and he encouraged her to study it well and to say it frequently. Wow. So from this perspective, Fear could actually be a springboard from which we pray with greater intensity and from a deeper place inside of us. And with that, fear is actually our friend. It's not a bad thing because our prayer could actually bring blessing to our lives and the entire world. It's not a bad thing at all. You're saying we could take, we could turn it around, literally turn, turn it, it around, around. and, and yeah. make it work, make it serve us, have it, have it work for our benefit. Yes. I like that. And, I like that approach. Yeah. And the, and the, and a prayer that comes with that energy, with that charge, with that intensity is much more powerful. It's coming from a deeper place inside of us mm -hmm. and it has more potency. So it actually brings more blessing to ourselves and, and to the world. 
Right? And you're not saying that we should ignore the fear or not acknowledge no. it or, or no, push it away it. or hide right from it. it. Harness mm. it, use it. Harness it and use it to our benefit. It's like, yeah. it's, it's like post-traumatic growth. It's so there's the idea that, you know, we can take our challenges and make them work for us. What strength it brings out in us. I like that. That's very, it's a good, it's an actual practical tool. Turn it into prayer. Instead of saying the words yeah. of fear, actually go and turn it to something positive. I love it. Um, so there's so much Hasidus and Kabbalah quoted and talked about in your book. I think you mentioned the Tanya and, you know, my husband recent, recently has been gushing about uh, new Shah Abitachan Shir that he's mm -hmm. taken and he finished with Rabbi Shay's tab. I think today's his last day. And the Rebbe really encouraged people who were struggling with financial worries and all kinds of worries and anxieties to learn it as it, it gives a basis for this faith. Are any of your ideas coming from Shara Bittachan? Are they just purely chassidus? I see, you know, you do have your notes in your book where it comes from. I'm just curious overall where a lot of these ideas are coming from. So I never studied Shara Bittachan well. Mm -hmm. I would say that the real sources are chassidus, mainly mm -hmm. chassidus. There are certain things that are halacha or I found in also in other svarim, mm -hmm. but overall the approach, the perspective, the mindset, it's, it's, it's the Balatanya's work, the yeah. Alter Rebbe's work mo mostly. And to think that's from like how many years ago, 200? And yeah. it's still <laughs> so relevant to our lives today and so timely. It's just, it's incredible if you think about it for a moment. Yes. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the actually the, you know, the Rebbe, our Rebbe, the Lubavitch Rebbe, mm -hmm. Um, expl explained, expounded on the Alter of his teachings mm -hmm. and actually highlighted certain aspects that are more relevant in our generation than they were then. Right. You know, such as the value of action, mm -hmm. you know, or such as different, different, um, the value of action is one of the biggest things. Like the Balatanya is very big into meditation. Right. And the Rebbe is more also into meditation because he encourages everyone to learn that. But then he also added that, you know, that piece of action where that when you do an action, you're much, you're automatically connected. You're right there. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> of course I'm planning on finishing the whole book and I want to read all 12 principles for this energized living, but each one is extremely important and it's connected to the previous one. But if I asked you to choose one of these 12 principles, which one is your favorite? Which one really talks to you personally and why? What, which one would it be? I'm sorry for that pause. I'm thinking. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> um, okay, so my favorite is definitely, I feel, what, what I called the book Your Awesome Self because I feel that when a person is connected to themselves, I know when I'm connected to my awesomeness, when I feel empowered, that's where all the change happens because we are the key players in our lives, right? We're the main characters in the story of our lives at the same time. So that would be Bechal, the Pasuk of, you know, the principle of Bechal Darva that in every generation, a person should see themselves as being liberated from their limitations, as Hashem taking us out of our limitations. Um, at the same time, the only way to really understand that and experience that is with the with the idea of Shema, with the principle of Shema. And then the only way to experience the principle of Shema, which is about God's power, is to is is the principle of Torah, <laughs> right. which is that you know Torah gives us a pair of glasses, a perspective of how to live. It's God's blueprint for life. 
So kind of they're all intertwined, but definitely my favorite part of the work is where I think everything comes together is in in this part of like really owning our personal empowerment and our ability to choose and living from that place. Mm -hmm. I like that. And you mentioned, I, I, I briefly noticed in the back of the book, in the conclusion, that for eight years, you've written and rewritten this book. And every time the same thing happened, that while writing, you would be learning meanwhile and teaching and doing your workshops. And by, the, and by that time, your experience from learning had changed you again. So then you would go back and you would reread it, what you had written, and you, you, you would feel like it didn't do justice to this awesome possibility of what Hashem's reality really is, and you would start all over again. So now that this book has been in print for, what, a year now? Um, I think when you look back at this book, which I'm sure you do, how much more do you feel like you want to add already? Or, you know, maybe what I'm really asking is, is there another book in the works? Are you working on another book? So you're right. By the time the book went to print, I already felt like I would rewrite it if I could. (laughs) And (laughs) really, I had to push myself to go through the last couple of months and just get it you know, give birth to this thing. Right. Because by then I also realized that it was strong enough and clear enough to be helpful and I wasn't going to hold it back. And then for a few months, I really thought I would never write another book because it was so challenging, like getting it out, like mm-hmm. just actually going through the process. And lots of people were telling me, oh, nobody reads books anymore. It's not, you know, it's not the way to get a message out. There are so many other ways today, mm-hmm. you know. So I really thought I would not write another book. Mm-hmm. But honestly, by now, I have at least four ideas, <laughs> uh-huh. four books in the works. But the, there's one that I already started working on, and that's a workbook. And it breaks down the ideas in the book to an evil, even simpler format. I feel like it's just more clear and easier to use. And I'm very excited about it. I don't know how long it's going to take. I hope it won't take more than a few months yeah. um, or a year. But I never know. Like, I don't right. know. Right. Right. Um, okay. If you could take one message from your book, that is the most important takeaway. I know you mentioned about the, which principle specifically, but if there was a one takeaway that you could impart with people, um, what would that message be? I mean, specifically in our times that we're living right now, you know, COVID and many people are, you know, worried and full of fear and anxious about what's happening around them the, you know, everyone used to think that, you know, they were in control of their lives. And now people have realized that they're actually not in control of their lives. We're not in control of anything in our lives. So people are struggling more than usual. So my question, I guess, is what would be a message, one message that you could, you know, impart with us? You know, people are very uncomfortable with uncertainty. And yet the uncertainty has always been a fact of life. It's just that now we're exposed to it more. Mm -hmm. So it's always been a fact of life. And uncertainty itself is not a bad thing. We we have to kind of, I think we have to be comfortable with the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And we have to lean more heavily on God and trust him more. We need to. You know that famous story with Reb Meirel of Premishlan? I think I even wrote it in the book. He was known as a great, you know, a righteous person. And he would walk up a mountain in the snowy icy weather and he wouldn't fall and he would he people once asked him to explain it how could it be that he never fell and he said a line that's been you know that's been used and referenced as a teaching he said when you're connected above you don't fall below 
-hmm. So now there are so many pitfalls and there's so many challenges and the roads are very slippery and, and it's so easy to fall into anxiety. I can tell you, I struggle myself too at mm -hmm. times. Um, I lost my father during the, during the, these times. So it's been very, very painful and difficult. And it's so easy to fall into despair, into depression, into anxiety and um, now more than ever, we need to plug into a real source of strength because as much as the physical dimension of our reality is uncertain, God is certain. So we need more of that certainty in our lives and, and we can get it. And another one of the most, like, I think the, the, the biggest tools that I find myself, two biggest tools that I find myself using the most these days Number one is to focus on the present, like really not to get stuck in what was or what could have been, what should have been, but, and not what, you know, what, what God, you know, my fears of what might be, what might go wrong, but really just focusing on the present and doing this moment to mm -hmm. the best of my ability, because I believe that God doesn't give us energy to wallow in the misery of the past or the future. He gives us all the energy that we need for right now. Mm -hmm. So when I focus on right now, just do this hour. Sometimes it's do this minute. If it's a very difficult day, it, for some people in a very difficult situation, it could be just do, just do this minute. Because when we get stuck in like the bigger picture of what might happen tomorrow or what happened yesterday, we just get very overwhelmed. We get flooded with negative mm -hmm. emotions. But if we just do this moment, we find that we actually could and just, Right off of that, one other thing is like to really try every single day to notice blessings. Mm. My mother, everyone asks, you know, how she's doing. She's alone. You know, we all lost our, my siblings and I lost our wonderful, loving father, but she lost her, the rock of her life, you know, mm. her partner. And she's the one who's most alone. Um, and, and for me, what I, I admire her strength as much as I'm sure she's, she's hurting much more than she's letting on but mm -hmm. i really admire her strength and the one thing that tells me that it's real strength is that she's constantly telling me how blessed she is mm -hmm. to have been married to him for so long like on the day of their wedding anniversary and i called her i said wow this must be a really hard day for you ma she said actually i keep thinking about how what a sauce i had how lucky i have been to be married to such a wonderful person for so many years. Wow. And I was just blown away by that. So because yeah. in the place where you feel blessed, you cannot feel miserable. Right. So the more we open our hearts to noticing God's blessings and absorbing the magnitude and the impact and the beauty of the blessings that we have, the less miserable we'll be about what we don't have and what we've yeah. lost. And everyone has lost something. That's a, that's a great message. Gratitude, tapping into what we have, the brachas that we have, the blessings that we have. That's yeah, grateful. Yeah. That is great. Um, thank you so much, Darna, for giving me and the listeners so much time and allowing me to ask some tough questions. And I'm wishing you continued success in all your endeavors. And may Hashem continue to give you the kayak, the strength to teach and to share so much wisdom and clarity with so many because we really need this today. This is something that our generation really clearly needs. And um, you're, you're giving that to us. So thank you. Thank you, dear. Thank you, Razel. And much the same blessing, double blessings to you.
you know, your work sounds like really, really incredible and impactful. And may you also see tremendous success in everything that you do in your Amen. personal life and in your community and as a leader Amen. in, in your practice. Thank you. <laughs>